Welcome to the Next Trip Podcast with Doug and Drew. This is an aviation and travel podcast covering current topics and trip reviews with multiple course deviations on our route. All thoughts and opinions are our own. Welcome to Boarding Pass 40, everyone. Operating on August 30th, 2020. This is Drew, and I'm here with Doug, and we're two av geeks and aviation professionals, creating a safe space for other av geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Good day, everyone. We hope this episode finds you safe, healthy, and in good spirits. We're one week closer to this crisis being over. We're staying positive and aviation tough. And Drew, did you say August 30th? That is nuts. It I can't. Is nuts. I can't. Uh, it feels like it's we're stuck in March still. <laughs> And do you believe this is our 40th episode? I know. It's crazy. It's going so fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, well, we want 2020 to, to be over. Fast, right? <laughs> yeah, slowly, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, how are you doing? So um, I f- feel like your uh, congestion sounds a little bit less. <laughs> so is the air clearing up a little bit in California with those oh, fires? Yeah, a little bit. It, it cleared up one or two days this week and it was really nice. In fact, my daughter looked up and said, Daddy, look, the sky is beautiful today. She yeah. even noticed. And then yesterday, things just got worse again. Um, yeah, the fires are they're under control or they're they're right around 50% contained. But just the way the winds blow, we've where we live, we've been getting the the majority of the smoke, even though the fires are are somewhat under control. Did you see that graphic from some weather channel that the smoke from California with the jet stream to the east you coast? You can see it on the east coast. That's can crazy. That? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it just goes to show whatever happens in the world affects the whole planet. Yeah, you know, so pollution in China is eventually we're gonna see the effects of it. Yeah, exactly. So, what about so what what about you? You've got a fun day in the works, right? <laughs> yeah, I do have a fun day in the works. So today is my mom's seventy fifth birthday, and she's actually just boarding a seven eight seven from Spo to come visit me on her birthday, and we'll be taking her out to dinner and having a good time. And she's at the gate, so I'm talking to her. I'm like, "All right, you are seventy five today. Do you does it feel like seventy five? And you know what she said? No. She said, "No, I feel like twenty five." Isn't that awesome? You know, that at 75, emotionally and like physically, she feels like 25. So we should yeah. be able to say that when we're well, 25. Well, if, if, if you had asked her that when she wasn't standing at a gate, taking pictures of 787s, sending them to you, would she have answered the same? No, or no, it, no. It's the airport no. bringing it out. No, that's all her. So, you know, so Av Geeks, you got to train your parents that you don't even need to ask them for pictures when they travel. They automatically send you a text of uh, a they're playing at the gate. So that's what I got from my mom. <laughs> yeah. The, the only problem with the picture she took though is the door is open and there's oh God, a, there's here a we bunch go of stuff going truck. on the catering truck. No, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I'll tell her that. <laughs> How dare you send me an unclean picture of a 787. <laughs> but then she had some person take a picture of her in the boarding area. It's like, oh man, I hope she's not annoying people, you know, <laughs> just walking around asking pictures. For pictures. <laughs> All right, so we have a lot to... This is going to be a good episode. We have yeah, a lot to yeah. talk about, Doug. Should we just hop into it? I think that we should just hop into it. Yeah. All right, well, we're one week closer to that ominous date of October 1st, which is when the CARES Act requirement for the airlines to avoid furloughs ends. We both work in aviation. We have lots of friends and coworkers who are affected, and we're looking at them mainly as, as we talk about this, and we're also looking at this from the inside thinking about all of our fellow aviation employees and their families. 
Drew, let's just rip this Band-Aid off and go over some of these news briefs from this week. And remember last week we talked about it was the calm before the storm. The, the right. storm, for it's, all intents and purposes, it started to hit this week. Yeah, and before I go through all this horrible news, Doug, Doug and I, you know, we say we're very close to this. It's not just the people that are going to lose their job, which is horrible. It's also the people that are on pins and needles and can't have the sleepless nights. And I know I'm talking to a lot of my friends who work for the airlines. It's, it's horrible for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I know you have very close friends. I, there's one American pilot, I think, that just found out that they're going to keep their job. Yeah, he got the warn notice and, and then was on the good side of the cuts when they came down this week. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, a lot of us are are saved, thankfully, but we've got to think about our coworkers that have to leave, and, and hopefully, it'll just be for a short time. So let's let's get to the news briefs. Uh, this first one is from Forbes. Two major airlines have announced massive layoffs. American Airlines and Delta Airlines told their respective employees that the companies plan for massive layoffs in October. American Airlines will downsize nineteen thousand jobs, and Delta plans to lay off nearly two thousand pilots. And then this one from the Chicago Tribune, United Airlines plans to furlough 2,850 pilots after October 1st, unless it gets federal relief. United Airlines will uh, furlough 2,850 pilots this fall as it faces a sharp decline in travel because of the coronavirus pandemic. And my last one is from the Sun Sentinel in Florida. Spirit Airlines pulls back layoff plan forced by COVID-19. Spirit Airlines won't need to cut up to 2,500 from its payroll as management has made voluntary leave and other arrangements with hundreds of employees, the company said Tuesday. What do you think about those? Well, you know, I always find the positive and in, in the negative, and I will say it's not as bad as what the war notices made it sound like it was going to be. Remember, we talked about this back in June and July that tens of thousands of employees were warned that they might face potential furloughs. Uh, at American, I know it was 25,000 were warned. And now American is saying that they only have to cut 19,000. I say only in air quotes. Oh, that still is thousands more than what what should be the case, unfortunately. But there is a bright spot in that it's fewer than what they had initially expected. Yes. I thought it was really interesting. American is the only one who so far has announced every every position on on the staff and what the furloughs are delta and united have only announced the pilots which means that there yes. will be there well there there probably will be further cuts that'll mm-hmm. that'll be announced here in the the coming weeks so that's right around 1600 pilots at american as you said just under 2000 at delta and 2800 at united mm-hmm. that seems like a big difference between american and united so i did a little research drew i don't know if you know why why it's the case, why United has a higher number of pilot furloughs than Delta or American. Do they have more voluntary leaves? A a little bit is the voluntary, but a lot of it is what the airline, what the the bread and butter is and what the airline actually focuses on and does. For instance, United is more heavily exposed to international. I I looked back at their 2019 numbers, 37% of United's revenue came from from non-domestic travel, from international travel. Whereas Delta and American, it was 25% and 26% respectively. Then that explains it. Yeah. United's revenue is 11% more dependent on international travel. And as we know, international is going to be the last 
to return. Right. It's such a double-edged sword because it when really times is. are good, when times are usually good, international is the area that's growing faster than domestic. It, it really is. Yeah. And if you look at their fleet composition, United, 26% of the fleet is wide body. At Delta, it's 16%. And at American, it's 14%. So their fleet composition wow. backs up the fact that United is very heavily skewed to the international side. So that's Those are good numbers. So United twice as much mm-hmm. wide bodies than Delta or yeah, America bas- percentage ba- Basically, yeah. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason that you have to look at is the mandatory retirements. Pilots per FAA regulations have to retire at age 65. Yeah. If you look at all of the mandatory retirements in the next decade at each of the big three, United, American, and Delta, Delta between now and 2024, we'll have more than 800 pilots a year that will reach that mandatory retirement age. Now okay. that's be- that's before the buyouts. So that's before mm-hmm. a couple thousand pilots said, "Hey, we'll we'll retire early." So that's a given. It's it's a, yeah, it's a given. So Delta Delta's peak is in 2024 when more than 800 pilots will be forced to retire due to age. Americans' peak is in 2026. United doesn't peak until 2028. So American okay. and Delta see that they have thousands of pilots between now and 2024, 2025 right. that will have to retire. United is a younger overall composition right yeah. now for their pilots. They don't peak until later. So American yeah. and Delta are able to get through this crisis a little bit better because they know that they have retirements that are coming up, mandatory retirements that are yeah. coming up. That's good information, Doug. One of these reports that I saw is actually from Spirit. What's interesting with them is that's the only carrier where I see the union working together to save all their pilots. Mm -hmm. So instead of just going by seniority, um, in addition to early outs, what they did is they, 2,500, half of their 2,500 pilots agreed to reduce their work hours, Mm -hmm. save another 600 pilots. Yeah. So with that, they won't have to lay anyone off. I, I really hope the all the other unions look at this and mm-hmm. see how working together can save jobs because you know, the other way of looking at it is kind of a greed thing. If I'm senior, I don't care about the people who have two years seniority. I just care about my job. But here we go. You know, they can do this in probably in a year, maybe less. They'll all be back to full hours. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, I think that's one of those things that it's kind of a self-correcting thing. So if the pilots agree to fewer hours right now for a set amount of time, they're not giving up pay per se because pilots are paid hourly. After 9-11, after the financial crisis, pilots gave up hourly pay. Their, their rates actually dropped. Yep. This is one of those things where if you give up the min guarantee, the certain hours that a pilot is guaranteed, when the recovery happens, which it will, we will be back to 2019 numbers. When? No one knows. But when that yeah. recovery does happen, you haven't given up your hourly pay. You've just given up that minimum and you'll be back to flying the same amount that you would have pre-crisis. Pre-crisis, yeah. Yeah. Now, these, these numbers that the airlines announced doesn't necessarily mean that those are the pilots or crew members or employees who are going to lose their jobs. They're the ones who are told that they will if something doesn't change. So this could be part of a negotiation tactic. I'm not saying with Congress, of course, Congress is looking at this, but with their respective unions to say, 
hey, look, we can save some or all of these yeah. if people agree to taking temporary cuts like at Spirit, like you said. Yeah, we'll see what happens, Doug. So now time is running out. We're, it's, we're almost to September. So that's a month before these layoffs kick in. Do you think Congress is going to do an emergency extension? I, I think that's fading every day, the chances of that. Yeah, I don't know when they get back from recess. I'm, I'm sure that some of the leadership has, has been in talks about it. But as much as I would like it, I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I don't know if there's enough time at this point. And I know that there was some talk that the president might sign an executive order that extends it. So there, there, there definitely are options on the table if Congress isn't able to get past their, their current impasse. Who knows, though? And, and we, so the reason why this is so important, Drew, we've talked about this, is pilots are so expensive and so difficult to train up. So look at United. If they cut 3,000 jobs, 3,000 pilot jobs like they're talking that's minimum three, three and a half years before any of those people would be able to return just based on the pipeline, the training pipeline. There are only set number of, of training slots a year. All the pilots who are still employed by the airline have to go through annual training. They have to change airplanes. Mm-hmm. So that that's all a bottleneck that will make it more difficult for the people who are off the property to come back on when, well, the when other it thing comes is- time for it. The other thing is we talked about the schedules. The schedules are already built for October and the schedule is built, planned on all of these people not being here. Mm-hmm. So how do you work that? You're going to, on the flying, recreate all the schedules, recalculate the seniority lists. Do It, it would be a nightmare. I mean, I hope it happens so that all these people can keep their jobs, mm-hmm. but it is going to be a, a train wreck to get it all reorganized. You know, Doug, these, um, I'm seeing that a lot of these news reporting agencies or news reporting sources, CNBC, this one, one of our stories was from Forbes. They actually, they made it very clear. So American had 11.9 billion in stock buybacks. So if they would have saved a little bit of that, they could have avoided all layoffs. Mm-hmm. And of, sure, they didn't know that this was going to happen, but they definitely had the wherewithal to prepare for even this. Mm-hmm. And their Forbes, this is what it said in this article. It's like, these executives made millions of dollars and they're going to be fine. Meanwhile, employees are going to be tossed out into the worst job market since the great depression. Yeah. Uh, and my point is they're not just talking numbers. All these places are talking about the emotional toll as well. You know, yeah. emotional and financial toll for everyone, not yeah. just the stock price. And the thing that you have to think about is a lot of these pilots who are possibly on the chopping block, they're people of the age group who probably entered the industry just after nine 11 or sometime in, in the time between 9-11 and the Great Recession, the 2008-2009 yep. downturn. So these are people who have seen three of the worst crises to hit the aviation industry in its history, and they've been there for the entire thing. So like you were talking about with attitude and trying to keep a positive mental space as this mm-hmm. is going on, they're yeah. in an industry that has seen three giant crises in the last 20 years. Are these people going to want to come back? And I was doing... Oh, yeah. I was doing some research about the the pilot shortage, which in reading back through some of the news articles and, and history of downturns, after 9-11, almost a third of the pilots who were furloughed never came back. They were offered to come back and they, yeah. they turned they it down. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have been through all that, Doug. I've been in the airline industry uh, for 26 years, so I've been through all that, and I have been laid off once, and I've been through so many crises, September 11th, this, the financial crisis, but, you know, we keep coming back for more punishment because I guess it's worth it. So, um, all right, we were in a good mood. Now the layoff news, now we're in a bad mood. So can we change this up? I, again, I gave you the positive news stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's, let's, move, <laughs> let's move across the pond. So BBC is reporting the Virgin Atlantic wins backing for a 1.2 billion pound rescue deal. Virgin Atlantic had won the backing from its creditors for this rescue plan, which will secure its future for at least 18 months. It'll save 6,500 jobs. Staying over on that side of the pond, the Times in the UK is reporting that there's a group led by Virgin who are desperately lobbying ministers for quarantine rules to be relaxed to open transatlantic routes. And this article is titled, Help Us Restart Flights to New York, Airlines Plead. Drew, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I'm happy for Virgin. That, we talked about how, how we both love Virgin. And there was a chance when we were talking during the last episode that they could completely disappear. Mm -hmm. Now, this gives them a lifeline for at least 18 months. Well, it has to be approved by the UK court. But, mm -hmm. if, you know, if their creditors are backing them, I don't think the courts would have a problem. Uh, Doug, it is going to save 6,500 jobs. Unfortunately, 3,500 have already been let go. So it's, it's not going to save everyone. It's 1.2 billion pounds. Mm -hmm. 400 million of that is coming from Branson's Virgin Group. So mm -hmm. they're putting a lot of their, Richard's putting a lot of his uh, collateral up to save this airline. And I think one of the collaterals was his island. I'm not sure. I think it was. I think that was worth 200 million. It's, it's good. And it's, Virgin is, is such a small airline in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, 6,500 jobs compared to, I don't know what BA or IAG or Lufthansa have, you know. Well, tens the U.S. Of, majors have around 100,000. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So Virgin is definitely a niche airline, a, a relatively small airline, but we've talked about them. You and I both really, really like Virgin. We enjoy flying on them. The fact that they're getting a win here is good for the industry. Even it's though good it's, for Delta. Well, it is. Delta yeah, 49%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's a good sign that, especially in a year after we had talked about Thomas Cook, folding after we had mm -hmm. talked about flyby yeah flyby that's right after flyby had folded and historically speaking the uk government wasn't really necessarily looking to save some of these some of these carriers some of these airlines yeah it's unfortunate for flyby because they they folded in march before there was really a chance to save them like like what has happened now right. but uh, any airline that can be saved for the short term to at least give them a chance to survive in the medium to long term is a big, big deal and a big yeah. win. For the well, industry. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that by next summer we'll be at, and you know, we can, we should write this down that this is our forecast. I don't know if it's yours the same, but I think that by next summer, we're going to be at 75% of 2019. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think? That's what the airlines are shooting for. We've talked yeah. about that American and, and Delta both have about 75% of their international mm -hmm. schedule. Yeah, it, that's what American is planning for next summer already. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be everyone though, because we have talked about how Qantas isn't even relaunching international flights at all until yeah. next summer. So it, it will take a, a little bit longer for certain parts of the world to get there. But hopefully it's a good sign. Hopefully by then we'll have some sort of a vaccine, some sort of a therapeutic 
treatments. Yeah, for for COVID, exactly. Well, so I mean, I don't know all the different treatments, but I think less people are dying now because the treatment is better, and we know mm-hmm. how to how to take care of them. Yeah. So, and yeah. you know, just a little tangent: New York is at a one percent positivity rate, and so they've done great controlling this. The DC area is down to four percent, and the whole country will improve. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole country, if they follow that, which they are, will be at less than 5% in a few months. We yeah. just stay at it. Yeah. Things can start opening up. All right. Um, do you want to, yeah, I know you were excited <laughs> uh, for this next one. So take it, take it away, my friend. Well, we want to talk about these bubbles, which we mentioned in the last episode, these bubbles or corridors between specific countries or now with, they're talking about specific cities. So they want to open a corridor between New York and London. As I said, New York has a very low positivity rate. The UK, not as low as New York, but lower than the US. So Mm -hmm. they're talking at high levels to possibly open a route. I see a lot of issues. It's hopeful and I hope it happens because it'll help my airline, Virgin, British Airways. But here are the problems, Doug. And you're probably thinking the same thing. So if I'm coming from New York, I should be good, right, for this corridor. Mm-hmm. But what if I connected from Dallas or from Southern California where the virus is higher? How, mm-hmm. how do they manage that? That's number one. Currently, we have the Trump administration who's not a fan of uh, the people in New York, the governor or the city. You really think he's going to give New York a win with a flight from New York to London? I, mm-hmm. I really doubt the federal government is really going to be behind this. I think a solution to this, if we are going to do this, is possibly testing before you board. Because that way, Mm -hmm. if someone connected in from a high positivity rate area, they get a test, you're okay. So now you have, the test isn't 100% yet, right? We don't know, because some of these saliva tests, the success rate of finding it isn't 100%, Doug. But that would be another layer, low positivity metropolitan area, and everyone gets a saliva test, some quick Mm -hmm. test before they board, and they don't have a temperature. Let's say we do those things. That could possibly work, but I think this happening, even though we want to dream about it, that we can fly to London with no quarantine, I hope it happens, but I think it's unlikely. Your thoughts? Yeah, Drew, I had the same question about the connectivity, but I I think if you look at the New York traffic, a lot of it is O&D, or origin and destination. Mm -hmm. Very little of it is actual connectivity. It, you can you can speak to that probably a little bit from your hub down the road. You probably yeah. see more European connectivity than Newark does. I know the Delta the Delta is moving toward using Boston as more of the connection hub, so mm-hmm. that so that New York you can funnel can be, everyone through exactly. So New York can be almost fully O and D. American is really building up Philadelphia and drawing down or pre. Pre-COVID, they were building up Philadelphia for their European network and drawing yeah. down New York a little bit so they could focus on the O&D. If, if they go forward with this corridor thing, imagine the work that it'll take for the gate agents, for the people at the airport, for the airline trying to manage sure. and deal with, okay, are you connecting? Are you not mm-hmm. connecting? And even then, there could be ways to circumvent the system, right? I live in California. I could yeah. fly to New York on a different ticket number the day prior, stay at a hotel, and then fly on that O&D on possibly a different airline in yep. a way tricking the system so that the airline doesn't know, so that the system doesn't know that I just come in from a, a high, a high exactly. area. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Or you could get in your car in Miami or Jacksonville mm-hmm. and start driving overnight. 
mm-hmm. and then board your flight in New York. Yeah. So there's so many ways around it. Yeah. Lots of holes here that I can. So see. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, we'll talk about this, but um, I don't know. It's it's interesting, and if it works, it could work in other cities too. But they're going to have to have some some process mm-hmm. to weed out people that are actually not from that metropolitan area. Yeah, exactly. All right, Doug. Let's move on to a different topic. So this next topic is actually from the airport ops perspective, and when I say airport ops, I mean the actual airport, the airport authorities which we don't talk enough about, but we need, need to, because that's an integral part of what you and I do. And we deal with uh, these professionals and um, av geeks on that side as well. So this uh, concern or this story was brought to us by Francis, one of my friends who's uh, airport ops supervisor in Northeast New York. So he sent me the story about a Chicago O'Hare uh, runway condition issue. All right, here's the title of the article, Doug. FAA proposes a $1.5 million penalty against O'Hare Airport over snowy runway operations. Now, you all might remember this. It was definitely all over Twitter. It was uh, an American Airlines, an American Eagle ERJ-145, which landed on a snowy runway, skid, kind of spun around a little bit. Everyone survived, no injuries. But apparently, Doug, there were two aircraft that landed before this flight that made uh, notifications to the airport that the braking action that they had was uh, subpar. Mm-hmm. And this was the third aircraft to land. So my question to you, Doug, as a pilot, have you landed in runway conditions that posed a safety risk and how did you report it to the airport? No, I never have. I, I have landed on snowy and icy runways, but it was reported as such. And we have procedures that we do, that, that we train for, that we go through things in the sim, lots of different checklists that we have to run when landing in these conditions. So no, I, I have not. But uh, because Drew and I have talked about how we want to educate people on the yes. show, I have some info about what the airports do in these types of conditions when it's suboptimal runway conditions. In 2016, the FAA changed the way that they report runway conditions, and they now use the RCAM method, which is the Runway Condition Assessment okay. Matrix. Yep. yep, we use that. Okay, yes, mm-hmm. and that, was, that started in 2016. There are codes from six all the way down to zero, six being the best, zero being the worst, and each code corresponds to a certain runway condition. Dry would be a six. Icy with wet snow over the top of it would be a zero. And so this matrix, it has the numbers, it has the runway condition listed, uh-huh. it has an explanation of what what uh, contamination might lead to that certain code number. And then uh-huh. it has a breaking action associated with it. Six is a dry runway. So it's normal braking. So there actually there is no verbiage associated with it. They won't call the runway condition if yeah. it's dry. A five is a good, which means that you're not going to get great braking action. It's going to be less than optimal, all the way down to a below poor. Normally, when you land on an icy runway, they'll say braking action poor. So what that means to us is we have landing data that we run. And we have to account for the braking being poor. So we have to increase the amount of landing distance that, that we have, that we okay. have to use for Got this. It. And then there are certain procedures we have to, so in my plane, we have to land with the maximum flap setting, which is okay. 50 degrees. 50. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where where it's where almost it's, completely down. It's like, what? It's not 90 degrees, but yeah, it's... Yeah, but it's, it's as far as it'll go. We call it put the barn doors out because the, <laughs> the amount of <laughs> drag... Look like. Yeah, the amount of drag yeah. on this airplane with 50 degree flaps is, is pretty ridiculous. 
we're supposed to purposely have a hard touchdown to okay. break to break the surface tension. So, so we want to get landing. get through whatever that contamination is, and then we have other other actions that we have to do when it comes to braking, when it comes to centerline control, et cetera. Yeah. And then even after we land, normally we'll clean up fully. We'll, we'll bring the flaps up, the mm -hmm. slots up. After that, we're supposed to only bring them up to flaps 22 and taxi into parking with flaps 22. Because if we bring them all the way up and we have just landed on slush or something like that, right. they, could, they could freeze into position so that you you can't even de-ice them oh, that's because right. the okay. water is, in, is mm -hmm. then on the inside. Yep, we've had that. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get the de-ice trucks to take the ice out of between the Correct. Flat. Correct. Now, let me ask you a question. So if you're landing in snow, is there a difference in terms of engine reverse thrust or wheel brakes that you use or is it the same as a we, we always We always land with reverse thrust regardless of what the conditions are. But if you land in what's called a crab, so if the airplane is, is pointed slightly into the wind, yes. if you look at the thrust vector, when you do reverse thrust, you're actually getting pulled off to one side of the runway if you're not okay. straight. So, so that's part of our procedures is make okay. sure that we do not land in a crab. Make sure that before you deploy the thrust reverse, you are centered straight down the runway because mm -hmm. otherwise you'll have a vector that's pulling you off to the side. Yeah. And if, if you have an icy condition, that could that could easily bring you off the off the runway if you're not so careful with it. You're saying you haven't landed with poor braking action, but have you landed in a partially snow-covered runway? I have, yeah, and I, I have landed with poor braking action, but I wouldn't say that that posed a safety risk. So there was nothing to report? No, no. We, we did report poor braking action, but because it had, we knew that that was going to be the case, we had these procedures for it. And but how I, does it feel like? I mean, is, is the DC-10 so good that it's not? It doesn't phase you. I mean, did you notice a difference when you touched? Yeah, that? there, there definitely, there definitely is. You have to when you're when you're done braking when you come to a stop. You definitely have to taxi a lot slower than you would have otherwise. But okay. it, it felt like it felt like a normal landing. I, I wasn't I wasn't terribly nervous about it because we had trained for it. I I think that the crux of this issue is that. The, the FAA is saying that the airport should have shut that runway down, gone and removed some of the ice, some of the snow, especially right. at a place like O'Hare. So in, in, the, in the aviation industry, we have what we call northern tier bases and southern tier bases. Atlanta is a southern tier base. O'Hare is a northern tier base, which means they have the resources available at their disposal to go out and clear the runway, whether it's a snowplow, they have trucks that have giant jet blowers on the back of it, which can can melt the ice. So yeah. an airport like Minneapolis, like O'Hare, these airports that get a lot of snow, a lot of ice throughout the winter, yeah. they're prepared for it. They And at O'Hare, they have half a dozen runways. They could have used a different runway while they closed this one down to make sure that they get it up to a safe level. So you wonder if it's just managing all those runways where someone missed it. I, th I think it I think that's probably what, yeah. I think that's probably what it was. Or the, the, or or Doug, in Chicago, the snowfall may have been so fast that it was just hard to keep up. Yeah, that could be. You know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I could just prod you on questions about the DC-10 this whole episode, but <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to say we'll we'll probably gain more listeners from that, but we got other stuff to talk about. But anything else on that? 
No, no, I, it, it just goes to show this was what, 10 months ago and it mm-hmm. took this long for the, the findings to come out. And we've, yeah. we've talked about other crashes, other incidents, and we say it's going to be a year before we find yeah. out about it because they want to make sure they do their due diligence. They don't just right. want to levy a fine without getting to the bottom of, of what it was. Right. And I think the FAA, you know, you don't want to slap anyone and not give them a chance to improve. But if this was multiple occurrences, Mm -hmm. it's like, what do you do? At some point, the gavel has to come down, you know, to change behavior. Yeah, exactly. And and right now is the time to do it in August. So that way, that way they have the time to make the corrections before October, which is when Chicago could possibly start seeing snow. Yeah. All right, Francis, thanks for that story. Yeah, that was, that was good. All right, Drew, moving on. You sent me a picture this week of what you call a bag can in front of a 787. So number one, why? And then number two. Because <laughs> you hate the non-clean <laughs> aircraft features. <laughs> I don't. But then number two, what are the different containers that you use and what do the numbers mean? Okay, so Doug, your DC-10 landing on a uh, snowy runway was exciting, but my story is more exciting. It's, I mean, what could be more exciting than bag cans, right? Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> excited about it because I don't, I don't, we don't have bag cans because we don't have right. any under underfloor stowage on the KC-10. So t- teach me about it, Drew. Yeah, so there are, these are the cans or the containers you see when you're an av geek and you're the the window. And I know you're watching everything we're doing. So this will explain a little bit of what's going on, specifically with bag cans. So there's 20 different types hmm. of containers. So I'm not going to go through all those because I will lose. Definitely the fringe av geeks will drop off. The diehard will stick with me until I talk about every single pallet. <laughs> LD7, LD11. So, Doug, we're just going to talk about one type. Now, first of all, the official, the, the, the proper word for these is not a bag can. They're ULDs, which stands for unit load device. Okay. And we're going to discuss the LD3s. So when Doug is a civilian and he's using his miles to go to Amsterdam, his bag is going in one of these LD3 cans or ULDs. Now, all the white bodies use the LD3s except... A smaller one, care to guess which one? 7.6. Mm-hmm. 7.6 is the only wide body that doesn't use it. They use the LD6s. So Airbus was smart. They made the A300 just wide enough so it can take the same containers as all the other wide bodies. Mm-hmm. So smart. Now these containers, it's like a box. So the measurement is 61 by 61 by 61 inches. Each of them holds up to 3,500 pounds, which is wow. a lot. Yep. And each of them holds, can you guess how many bags one container holds? Oh boy, 150? No, it's only 40. Oh, okay. Yeah, 40 to 50 bags. And uh, the actual weight of the container itself is only 181 pounds. So they're pretty light. They're mm-hmm. lightweight aluminum. Now I see them, you know, composites. But what's the purpose of these cans? Number one, they save time. These cans are loaded up with all these bags in the support areas, meaning the bag room or the connection sorting area so that when they come to the plane, you have all these cans, they just go in real quick and you're done. You're not loading on a triple seven. It could be 400 to 500 bags. If it's yeah. a full triple seven, it's, it's, it's not like what you see next to a 737 where they have the belt and they have someone with a, a cart throwing the bags on the belt and going into the belly. Yeah, exactly. Also, Doug, it's easier to find a bag. So now this is what happens. So, you're on an international flight. All the bags have to go with the customers. If a customer doesn't board, that bag has to come off. So Doug's sitting here at the Sky Club 
trying to squeeze in one more old fashioned, right? <laughs> and now it's 15 minutes before departure. Meanwhile, and I'm, I'm, everyone has heard this in the boarding area, the airline is going to be frantically paging Doug to please come to the gate as your flight is closing. Now, as they're doing this, they're also calling down to my department where we're being told that Doug has not boarded and we need to start looking for the bag. What a nightmare you've created because you wanted that extra old-fashioned Doug. <laughs> well, here's the difference, though. <laughs> I, w- I would be at the gate 50 minutes prior to departure because I like to get on first so I can get the pictures of the empty plane as I board. All right, good. Then we love you. Cause yeah, we know that you so then there. you would not be pulling my bag. It would be someone, someone who I was sitting next to at the club trying to squeeze that last old-fashioned out. Okay, thank God. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, so, <laughs> so now with these cans. So if you look at a can, you'll notice that they all have like a license plate number. Mm-hmm. With the LD3s, 99% of them are going to start with AKE. That's the IATA code for the LD3 can. Then it's going to have a five or six digit number, which identifies that can. And usually it'll have the airline code. So it'll say AKE 4534DL if it's a Delta can. So now let's say Doug isn't at the gate. The agents will go through and look to see where his bag is on that aircraft. And then he or she will be able to see Doug's bag is located in can AKE, blah, blah, blah. And we'll be able to pinpoint where that can is on the plane. So we can surgically remove that one can and pull Doug's bag off. 90% of the time before that bag is pulled, we'll get a call. Hey, Doug just showed up. And then everyone's happy and the flight's going to go on time and you haven't delayed 400 people. Here's a fun fact. How many cans, if we had no cargo, Doug, mm-hmm. how many of these LD3 cans loaded two, you know, two in a row? Two by two. Down, yeah. Two by two. Can the A380 hold? Oh, man. You said there's 61 inches. The A380 is, what, 200-some feet? That's like um, 250, 200, 212 feet long, I think. Yeah, probably 40-some. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> Good guess. Yeah, it's um That's it's my pi- that's my pilot public math for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good, Doug. So yeah, so the A380 can hold um 38 cans, which if those cans have 40 bags each, that's over 1520 bags. Yeah. So is it a needle in the haystack to find your bag? Yes it is, but mm-hmm. with these cans, we can identify the can and make our life a little bit easier. Here's something um here's another fun fact. So the A380 th- 38 LD3s Guess how many, well, 777-300, longer aircraft, Mm -hmm. that plane can hold 44 cans. Wow, yeah. So this is another reason why the A380 didn't make it, you know, because you can carry more on a 777. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if those positions aren't filled by cans, that's the icing on the cake, which is now we can take some cargo too. Yeah. So yeah, that's my rant about uh, ULDs now. My guys, <clears throat> where I work, when we have to load these, it's fast, Doug, because we have a lot of wide bodies and they're so good at it. So what we do, and I don't even know if other hubs at my own airline do this or those of you that are listening, to get that flight on time, what we do is we, we want all those cans, those 30, 40 cans on the plane at least 10 to 15 minutes prior, mm-hmm. 10 minutes minimum. That way, any last-minute bags you get, they just go into the manual pit. Now, the manual pit is like on a small plane. It's a belt loader, and the bags are loaded individually. Mm -hmm. It's in the back of the plane. Sometimes it's called the bulk pit. Sometimes it's called the manual pit. We use both terms. You can fit 150 bags 
on a triple seven just in the manual pit. Wow. So it's like a whole 737 worth of bags in that manual pit. Yeah. So what I want my guys to do is have those car the main cargo doors closed 10 minutes prior so that we can be good to go. And any last minute bags that show mm -hmm. up, just throw it in the manual pit, shut that door, and we're out of here. Yeah. Well, so uh, this is another reason why for international departures, you have to be checked in with your luggage. What is it? Normally 60 minutes prior to departure, minutes, yeah. where it's 45 for a domestic flight because yes. they have to get into these cans. And then at a lot of airports, they have to get farther out to the airplane because a lot, a lot of times the international terminal is a little bit farther out, takes longer mm -hmm. to get there. So that's part of the reason why they need to have these, um, or they have these check-in times mm -hmm. for, for people. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you, Doug, if you have, if we have a good lead with a great team on the gate, which most of them are cause they're seasoned and they work these international trips a lot. We get a bag pole for your bag and it's 10 minutes prior. They can literally fish that can out, take that bag, take that bag out, put that can back in and mm -hmm. still be closed up within five minutes. It's yeah. amazing. So when you're at the gate, you're watching close to departure time. You're seeing a can come off, spinning around, going down, bag coming off. They are making their money right then. And Tyler, if you're listening, Jason, you guys work in Phoenix, so you probably get a wide body every year. So maybe not a lot of experience <laughs> with the can. <laughs> but my guys, one minute in it, we can load a can every one minute at the last minute if you have to take a bag out. Yeah, spin it up around, put it in. So, so Drew, you you say I don't like watching all this, all this go down. I don't like the pictures of it. I can tell you, I I have a specific memory. Last year, I flew from L.A. to Miami on a triple seven three hundred. Uh huh. Got got in, went to the Admirals Club for a, a beer uh, before moving on, and I sat at the window and I watched my plane that I just mm -hmm. come in on triple seven three hundred ER get unloaded. They had all of the pallets with the cans sitting there waiting to go, ready mm -hmm. to load up for the next flight, which was to Buenos Aires. Yeah. I watched the catering trucks come up. I watched them load all of the cans. It took, uh -huh. le took less than an hour for my plane to get unloaded and for the Buenos Aires plane to get fully loaded up, turned ready to go. Amazing. And I just Amazing. sat there. I just sat there at the Admiral's Club watching out the window in That's utter amazing. amazement as to what was what was happening yeah. i mean it is literally a ballet of equipment moving around in you know in concert yeah one more story before we get to the end <laughs> so this happens again and again and again and it's it's fun but it's also nerve-wracking so doug doesn't show up for this flight and he doesn't show up at all so we do have to pull the bag so you see the can coming off now it's 10 minutes prior they have to fish through 50 bags to find your bag now the time is ticking right Jetway comes off because Doug's not going. So it, the ramp guides the jetway off. It's like, okay, good. Jetway's off. So the the passenger door is closed. Still looking for the bag. Oh, you see they found the bag. Now it's like maybe five minutes prior. Now they got to put the can back in, put the can back together, put the bags in. It goes back up. It goes in. <sighs> they have to close the cargo door, which actually is like a minute, but it seems like forever because mm -hmm. now the time is ticking. And am I going to take a delay on Frankfurt because Doug had to have an old-fashioned <laughs> it's frustrating so you see it go in now we're down to like i don't know three minutes sometimes one or two minutes when the cargo door is closed now when you have a good lead they're in contact with the pilots to say mm -hmm. hey we got the bag the bag's going on. giving the captain a play-by-play -play mm -hmm. so that they're on the same team which they normally are and you see this all the time where it's down to one minute that cargo door closes and then you hear them call the airport for push 
And then you're hoping, oh shoot, please don't, please don't have a Delta MD seven one seven or whatever taxing back. It's like, and I will be like, oh friggin' Delta. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, usually there's nothing. He calls for push, and then it's the nail biter. It's like, come on, airport, give us push clearance. It's like, oh, all right, nine eight nine heavy, you're clear to push. Then you see that beacon go on, and then mm-hmm. then I'm like tapping every second on my computer, refreshing, <laughs> making sure oh, yeah. that it wasn't. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Usually, when the beacon goes on, that indicates brake release. Mm-hmm. And more than often, these guys, these pilots, they they know what's going on, and if you keep them informed, they are right with you. So when they see that door close, they call for push clearance, and the brakes go off. Flights one minute early or right on time, and then ugh, thank goodness because all that work, the difference between on time and a one minute delay <laughs> it's like life or death because now someone has to me usually has to, has to answer explain all the things that happen yep yep <laughs> and you know we'll still talk about it if we're closed at departure time and we just made it we'll still talk about it it's like what well, this was really close let's mm-hmm. see what happens yeah all right so that's my rant um so doug more good news so we received an awesome review this week doug from one of our listeners Kind of made us blush. Are you sure it wasn't from your mom after we talked about her tail swap question <laughs> yeah, last week? <laughs> I, needed, I needed to teach my mom how to do reviews and then ask her for one. <laughs> but no, we, we really appreciate the review. I was titled Pure Abgeek Enlightenment, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It said, in the short time I've been listening to this podcast, Doug and True have increased my aviation knowledge by at least 500%. Great mix of news, ops, aircraft, and airports. I don't work in aviation, but these guys have me seriously thinking about changing careers to get those lucrative non-revs. Really appreciate their stories <laughs> at a time when I long to get back on a plane. And they sound like kind, decent people, 100%. Oh, that's- and that was, that was from Ashrock on Apple Podcasts. So thank you very much. We really appreciate hearing that. Um, so I got to tell you, Doug, and I got to tell Ashrock, don't come to the airlines just for the non-revs. <laughs> 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 Because it's, it's hard work and, you know, they squeeze every drop of blood out of you. But if you love it, you love it. But don't come just for the travel because the work itself is either rewarding or it's a nightmare. So make sure you love working at the airport and crazy schedules and never seeing your family for, well, you know, 10 years until you have enough seniority to get Thanksgiving off. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, the rewards are great. To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So follow us on Twitter at Next Podcast. And let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it. You can also email us at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com or leave us a review wherever you download your podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Find us on Twitter at nexttrippodcast or officerwayfinder.com slash podcast. <laughs> did you hear that no what'd you say but I, I don't know if you could tell poppy was wearing a her flower girl dress for my uh-huh. cousin's uh-huh. wedding and uh-huh. i asked marissa why is she wearing a wedding dress marissa's like because it's 2020 what else is she gonna do <laughs> <laughs> of course it's perfectly normal <laughs> <laughs>